When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Dave Whitaker, and this is Vinyl Snob. The pinnacle of recording your music and putting it out would be to have it on vinyl like that, for sure. That's Mike Asenzio describing his vinyl dream. In this episode, we'll hear more. When you do something like this, I think that it opens up a passageway for uh, record buyers to look at the art and sort of say, what's going on here? And if you're going to have a vinyl dream, you need the proper artwork. We'll hear from artist Curtis Whistler. You know, trying to stay relevant as a record store, it's important for, um, you know, the owners of stores to know what's going on. And I'll introduce you to the owner of my new local record store. That's all coming up. All right, first some quick vinyl news. If you travel and have always wanted to check out the local record stores, there's a site you might want to visit, vinylhunt.com. It's a directory of independent record shops that offer new and used LPs and 45s, hi-fi equipment, turntables, also parts, service, and much more. They promote independent record shops and hope to drive customers into the brick-and-mortar retailers through their website and social media. Independently owned, record store info comes from customers, record shop owners themselves, their patrons, and fellow vinyl enthusiasts. Their message, please support your local record shops and all independent retailers. The site was launched in 2006 out of a desire to locate independent record shops and put them in a centralized directory. If you're traveling and want to check out the local record scene, you might check them out first. Finalhunt.com If you've ever been part of a band or even a solo artist who has recorded their music and always dreamed about putting it out on vinyl, your day has come. Investigating the Vinyl Dream, producer Dana Barry. We all have dreams. Any artist lives on the edge of a dream. Some dreams are hazy, others are more tangible. I like to talk about a tangible dream I've had during many years as a musician, making a vinyl record. For years, I'd record a bunch of songs, either with a band or on my own, and put them together to make a, can I even say album? because a CD isn't really an album. Okay, we've made a record. A group of digital songs with a title in a certain order isn't really a record, is it? Album or record implies vinyl. 
I've been reduced to saying we made a CD or a recording. Blah. As a producer of Vinyl Snob, I feel it is now my obligation, my right, to make a record of my band's newest album. Wow, that felt really good to say. I've been fortunate to have been part of a terrific band called Night Herons for the last five years. I found my friend and bandmate Mike through Craigslist, and he brought in his friend and ex-bandmate Larry. As anyone in a band will tell you, the moment you play with other musicians and it gels, it's a magical moment. Well, we rode that moment through two recordings and some live shows. Larry moved away and Mike and I were left to fend for ourselves. So we started writing and recording a third one called Heavy Swell. We've gotten to the end of recording and the songs are being mixed. Now what? Night Herons is not a well-known band, I feel. And others have said we make really good original rock and roll that probably falls into the alternative rock genre. But it is hard to get your music heard. The internet's great, but it's also great for a million other bands. We played a bunch of shows and our fans still consist mainly of our friends. Club bookers just care about numbers, how many you draw. So it's difficult to get on a good bill with a larger band. So what's my point? It is crazy for us to consider putting out a vinyl record. Pressing vinyl is expensive, and in order to make it somewhat less expensive, you have to order a minimum of a couple of hundred copies, at least. Now, for a band that tours a lot and has a decent fan base, it's a good way to make income as you can sell records for a decent amount. But for the band that doesn't tour, that doesn't have a big online fan base, what's the point? It's vinyl, damn it! That's the point. For me, who grew up with vinyl, that's the gold standard. To be able to file our Night Herons record between Nix and Nielsen is legit. Okay, I could have made up a bookend hipper than Stevie, but I'm honest. And besides, Belladonna is a good record. Anyway, it will feel like we belong. CDs are cool, and having your music on iTunes and Spotify lends an air of legitimacy. But it's not the same. I don't need to convince you, because you're listening to Vinyl Snob. So let's move on. What's the process? What's involved in pressing vinyl? I'm going to take you through the steps finishing our record. We'll start with doing final mixes, making the artwork, cutting the lacquer, test pressings, the actual pressing of the record, and finally the delivery, and what then? Along the way, we'll interview folks about what vinyl means to them. So let's start with my bandmate, Mike Asensio. On the way to our final mixing session, I asked Mike about what vinyl means to him as someone who grew up when vinyl was hibernating and CDs roamed the earth. I was excited when we recorded the first set of songs and and then the, the last album, I think we put more effort into it and we put more time and, and we really worked on it and we'd have been happy with, or I would have been happy with just streaming and then to have physical CDs and artwork, that was great too. But like you said, it's kind of the, uh, the pinnacle of recording your music and putting it out would be to have it on vinyl like that for sure. Mike's dad introduced him to vinyl. What about Mike's young daughter, Morgan? I think it's a unique experience to be listening to vinyl and, and the sound quality and the warmth and 
all the things people still love about it, uh, being able to share that with her, and hopefully that's something she'll appreciate. I can't imagine uh, that going out of style, and even in 10, 15, 20 years, 50 years, uh, you know, it's a reason it's still, there's still so much interest in vinyl and the sound quality, and and like I said, the, the giant artwork and having that whole experience I think uh, I think she'll appreciate it, and and I hope I can give her the same quality of death stare that my dad gave me when she, when she does uh, skip the needle on me. Mike and I recorded the ten songs ourselves on our old gear in our small rehearsal space. DIY. I do most of the engineering and initial mixes, but in order to get a great sound, the magic of EQ, we've enlisted Mark Gordon who works as an audio engineer and is a musician himself. Yeah, so check it out. So the guitar does this when it comes in in this transition. So, and here's what it sounds like in the mix. Just gives it sort of a building sense of chaos, yeah. sort of like a day in the life type right. thing. You just feel it more than you hear it explicitly. But it just... So is there anything a band should pay attention to while recording, knowing that the end product is vinyl? Generally, no, not for the way I work. I like it just to sound good. Um, I think you just, the only thing, master good matching engineer can fix most problems that they can roll off too much bottom end. Um, I try not to make things overly compressed because that's something a mastering engineer can't fix and that can cause, um, you know, when they're, when they're actually cutting vinyl master, it won't, they won't be able to track it if it's too compressed. Uh, I also try to follow the guidelines of not having anything below like 150, I can't remember what the exact cutoff frequency is, but not have anything panned off-center or too wide below a certain frequency. A uh, mastering engineer could probably fix that, but it'd be more work for them to do that. But if someone doesn't fix that problem, that could uh, cause problems for um, the needle as well, jumping out of the groove or not being able to track. So generally just try not to overly compress stuff, not to have bottom end panned too wide, if at all. I couldn't resist putting Mark on the vinyl hot seat. I have lots of vinyl records that I can't part with, mostly for sentimental reasons. I rarely put on vinyl. Um, I, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say I like the convenience of digital streaming. So I, that's mostly how I listen to music in the car at work or here as a reference, I can pull up anything, um, you know, on Spotify for comparison. I like vinyl, I appreciate it, I think it's cool that it's around and you know, that that there's, I like it mostly, what I like is the format for uh, all of the lyrics and credits that you don't get in a CD. I'm really not that tied to the medium per se, like I like, you know, but I, I, I uh, regret that it's really hard to find out where things are recorded, who produced them, who engineered them, who played on records all the great info that used to be on albums. That's what I like most about albums. And I even bothered me when, like, when it went to CD, same deal. Like the pictures were all smaller, you couldn't really see. Before we go to the next step of mastering, let's figure out where we're gonna press the record. There are many choices of pressing plants, more now than ever, 
as vinyl has overtaken CDs as the physical medium of music. All was right in the world. I knew I wanted to do this story for the podcast, so I decided to stay local, which narrows the search significantly as I live in the Bay Area. I had heard of a new pressing plant opening in Oakland, which is big news as there hasn't been one here since the 1930s. Second line vinyl. I also know Pirates Press, which is local and is a well-respected vinyl manufacturer and punk rock record label. But they press their records in the Czech Republic, and I was really hoping to be there when the records were pressed. But our budget doesn't quite allow for travel overseas. Not yet. Hint, hint. Please see our Patreon page. My friend Richard, who we'll hear from later, and I spoke with Michael Greg Thomas, who is actually part of a vinyl brokerage called Vinyl.io that works with Second Line Vinyl. We had a great chat, and he sold us on making our records through them. For more on what a vinyl broker is, let's hear from Michael's partner, Mark Calabro. One-stop shopping, right? If you go to most pressing plants, they're going to ask you to submit your lacquers. They're going to ask you to print your labels somewhere else, your jackets, all that stuff you have to coordinate. I think pressing plants were pretty accustomed to having vinyl brokerages being their customer service and being their sales team. You know, the other thing is the artwork side of it. You know, we, we pay a lot more attention to the files that come through here um, in general, whether it be audio or artwork. You know, we actually review those files um, and go the extra distance to make sure that things are set up correctly. And, you know, the other thing that a broker does is, you know, we have buying power with pressing plants, right? So if we spend half a million dollars with a pressing plant every year or more, that means that we're gonna get preferential treatment. I think that's the reason why people continue to use brokers as opposed to going direct to a, a pressing plant right. is that they feel like they're getting added services. Brokers also, you know, aren't more expensive than going direct. So might as well just let someone do it for you, right? So how many records should we print? I usually say start off with a seven inch record, you know, for, from a collector's standpoint, particularly in rock music, you know, that's a great piece to start your band's collection with. At this point, I don't think we need to worry about being collectible. Besides, we have a 10 song album in the can. For full length records, you know, usually we say if, if, you're, if you're trying to make some money off the records, you know, 500 records is the best way to go. You can go lower. Don't buy more than you think you're going to sell, so 250. But with any printing, full color offset printing, so the type of printing that we use for making labels or making jackets or whatever it is, the minimum print run is 500 pieces. So the bulk of any short run cost is printing your jackets, printing your labels, making your stampers. You can order 500 of those and press 100 records and then come back and ask us to make another 100 records for you. It depends on how you want to lay out your finances on that. But usually we say, well, just do all 500 if you want to get the best bang for your buck. But if you're worried about storing records, which people should be, because records warp if you put them in the heat. You know, if you put them in the back of your van and drive them across the country and back and you only sold, you know, one box and you got four more you know, you might have dish product by the time it gets back. So yeah, so 250 if you don't think you can store them properly. Let's back up a bit and talk to a friend of mine, singer-songwriter Joel Cuzzy, who just had his first vinyl record manufactured at Pirates Press. I've played guitar since I was about 16. 
I, as far as I can remember, uh, music's always just kind of been a part of me. Um, I can't, it's not something that I can really have any control over. I, if I tried to stop, the guitar would still find its way into my arms. Vinyl is very much a, a big part of my youth. In fact, I still have all my vinyl records. I, I could never, I could never sell those. The first record that comes to mind is The Clash, London Calling. I like how more and more people these days are going in the direction of if you want to own the music, own it in its analog form. Joel said he had a great experience with Pirates Press, and I was impressed with the packaging. I was also impressed with the record's cool artwork. Yeah, so that was filmed on Mount Tam, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and I saw that tricycle, and there were no kids around, so I just thought it was kind of strange. I just I like to photograph things that are different and kind of weird, and that definitely was weird and different. <laughs> so I had to take the picture. You can find Joel's latest release, Footprints, at joelcuzzy.com. So artwork's a big deal with any release, but especially so with the large format of vinyl. I decided to enlist my friend and artist, Curtis Whistler. I've seen many of his prints, in fact, we have one hanging in our living room, and thought his aesthetic and talent would be a great match for night herons. Let's hear from Curtis about his process. This was a sort of a case where I have certain elements that I've collected over time and scanned in, and I can find elements that will relate to something. Sometimes it's just a shape, sometimes it's a cartoon, sometimes it's a type style, or whatever. And that was basically how uh, Heavy Swell came about, was I initially gave you three different sort of versions to look at. Um, those didn't go over too well, which was, was fine. I think that's that's normally the way it should go. And um, I had to produce uh, a second round, and that second round was when I introduced this, uh, what became the, the final for the for heavy swell the concept was so difficult to, for me to sort of like okay what do i what do i have what do i remember what what sort of comes up and it, it immediately was more abstract to me just abstract and that was the the route that it felt like i needed to go to so picking those elements and then finding that and and seeing it and saying oh yeah that that looks like exactly the thing that we want to sort of build into it hearing some of the songs that you did that gave me some inspiration because I feel like there's a lot of there's a it's an emotional it's an emotional album obviously there's a lot of fight in it as well and so I wanted to try and try and marry those two things together which can be very disparate but right. I thought it worked out really well when you do something like this I think that it opens up a passageway for uh, record buyers to look at the art and sort of say what's going on here you know I mean it, it's it's that sort of a, a a window opening that they have to sort of um, they have to sort of climb through and want to know what what's on the record what does it sound like how does this relate to that check out Curtis's artwork um, you can find me at uh, identikit.com which is e-y-e-d-e-n t-i-k-i-t dot com uh, you can also find me on Instagram under fig alert f-i-g-a-l-e-r-t 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we'll be back with more of Dana Barry's Vinyl Dream right after this. Welcome back to Vinyl Snob. Let's continue with producer Dana Berry's report on The Vinyl Dream. I mentioned my friend Richard earlier. We actually met at a vinyl gathering in our apartment building. I know, dorky, but if you've gotten this far, then I hate to break it to you, but you're probably a vinyl nerd yourself. I've got to thank Richard for providing the impetus to even think about pressing vinyl. He was gung-ho about it, and his enthusiasm spread. Richard Shirk is an indie rock musician. You know what? I'll just let Richard tell you himself. Uh, my ambition right now is to be kind of forgotten and then rediscovered in like 20 years. I'm a cult, a cult musician making cult records, and cult records are meant to be rediscovered in 10 years and cut out being at Amoeba. So, dude... Why vinyl? My parents really loved music growing up, and and yeah, that was those are some of my earlier memories of uh, listening to music, and then getting back into the format when I was probably about thirteen, when I started spending a lot of time in California, and going to Amoeba and finding things like Heaven Up Here by Echo and the Bunnymen for a dollar, and and then also at the same time digging through my stepmom's record crates and listening to, you know, first pressings of uh, Sgt. Pepper's and, and Velvet Underground. Yeah, SoundCloud is infinite, and CDs are cheap and disposable, even though it's a great format, um, and still useful for a lot of things like college radio. But, but yeah, there's something precious about holding a vinyl record in your hands. A key step in the process is getting the test pressings and approving it before the pressing plant proceeds with the order. This not only makes sure the lacquer was cut properly, but that the stamper that was made from it was also done right. So Richard bounded up to my apartment with his blank label white sleeve test pressing, eager to drop the needle. But first, how do you feel? I feel excited, like a, a real musician. It's on wax, it's official after all these years. Okay, so what are we listening for? A lot of it is uh, the tendency to compress the low end in such a way that you get like an unpleasant rumble or other kind of like analog artifacting, uh, especially in the low end. So that's what we're listening to, and I'm not really hearing any of that. So it's sounding kind of cool. You can find Richard Shirk's music at richardshirk.bandcamp.com or at CD Baby under Richard Shirk. Okay, so Night Herons isn't at that stage yet. So let's listen to Mark at Vinyl.io explain why you need to pay special attention to sequencing 
and each side's runtime. When you're cutting the record, if you have one side that's 12 minutes and one side that's 18 minutes, your 12-minute side is going to be cut at the same level as your 18-minute long side, right? So that way, when you flip the record over, you don't have to turn up or turn down your stereo, okay? So that's why you want to balance out those sides so that if both sides are 15 minutes, you're going to get a super loud cut out of that record. Both sides are going to be nice and hot, where if you keep one at 12 minutes, that could have been a really great sounding side, but we had to cut it at the same level as your 20 minute long B side, right? So you got to keep them balanced. That way you're going to get the most out of both sides. You know, we're going to cut that engineer can cut both sides at the highest level possible. Knight Heron's next step with heavy swell is mastering, which is basically taking the mixes and giving it the final polish, adjusting volume and EQ so your release really stands out. There are actually online mastering programs which are affordable and do a decent job of good mixes. We used one for our last release, but there are differences in mastering for digital and vinyl. I didn't want to go to all the expense and effort of printing vinyl only to use an algorithm to master it. Besides, Richard has a friend in Portland who not only masters but also has his own lathe and will cut your lacquer, which is what's sent to the pressing plant. But do you need to find your own lacquer cutter? The first thing I'll tell anybody is if you already have a guy who's cutting your lacquers, continue to cut your lacquers with them. If you're happy with the product that you're getting from them, we don't want to disturb that, right? If you like the records that you get, because that's, that's number one in making your record is your lacquer's got to sound good. If your lacquers don't sound good, nothing else is going to sound good, right? Um, but we also work with a cutting engineer that um, has delivered very good quality cuts for us. Uh, and like I said, getting into the pre-mastering of it all, what we like to do as a brokerage is we like to do a flat cut. So no mastering at the stage of the lathe. So the idea is, is that you'll get your vinyl pre-masters and you'll hear what those sound like digitally. If you're happy with that, we're gonna transfer that material. We're just gonna vinylify it, right? As soon as you cut a lacquer, you get a little bit more low end, done deal, right? Sounds great. Everyone's going to be happy with it. But as soon as we get into tweaking stuff on the lathe, then that's where we run into issues. So the other reason why we would suggest that people cut with us is that we have agreements with our plating departments and with the pressing plants. So if there's a problem with your lacquer that happened on the cutting side of it, right? Let's say there was a skip that was caused on the lacquer level and not during the plating process. We go back to our cutting guy and we say, look, you made a mistake here, recut it, right? And that would be no expense to our client um, and it's no expense to us. It's an agreement that we have across the board. If someone makes a mistake, then they're responsible for it. They recut it, they get it to the planning department and we move on with another set of tests. Well, I was willing to take the risk because Richard's friend Gus would master the record and he guaranteed his work. Plus, it gave me an excuse to go to Portland. 1474, service in the Portland. Welcome to Portland. Gus Elge lives in a suburban part of Portland that I arrived at via multiple bus rides and record store stops. The other thing is high frequency limiting. Um, you pro as you probably know, like uh, symbols and vocal sibilances tend to distort, right. especially towards the inner. So, 
we use high frequency limiting if we need to. Okay. Uh, so I'll figure out where I'm going to set that. That's one of the things that I sort of already took care of when I was mastering it. Oh, right. That's part of why I chose to knock some of the treble down across the board. I right. just knew it was a little much for vinyl. His company is called Sky Onion, and he has built a studio in his garage. Why would anyone waste a garage on a car? So how does someone end up with a cutting lathe in his garage? I got into mastering uh, basically just because I was in bands and um, started to DIY recordings. And um, so I started doing it on some of my own projects and just other bands that were friends of ours. Um, that also were in the similar no budget category. So lacquer cutting, um, I was always a, a vinyl collector. I was involved in college radio and um, I actually did electronics repair at a record store for many years, fixing turntables and that kind of thing. And um, just in my progression as a mastering engineer, I was always very in, you know interested in vinyl and also bought a lot of vinyl that was somewhat disappointing and thought, hey, maybe I could do this. Um, so I decided to try and find a machine. It took a couple years to find something suitable uh, and then just dove into it. What are your thoughts about having a separate cutting engineer? I think that um, while it's also possible for, say, a cutting engineer at the pressing plant to do a good job, um, ultimately, they're not going to have the same amount of information about the music. And... Um, you know, if I'm mastering a record before I cut it, I might happen to know that, hey, this particular section of song three has some, you know, some stereo spread toms that are going to be problematic. And I want to deal with that song on its own rather than um, use an elliptical EQ to filter out the panned um, low end on the entire record. I think you'd, you'd be more likely to get the second approach with the guy at the pressing plant um, whereas if, you know, if you have the guy who actually mastered it, do the cutting, then you can fix those little things on their own. What are we creating here? An acetate? They call it an acetate, which is sort of a misnomer. Um, it's basically an, a thin aluminum disc that is coated with lacquer, like a paint, essentially. You send it to the electroforming facility. Most uh, pressing plants don't actually make their own stampers. There's only a few places that make stampers in the country. So you'll send them to the electroforming facility and they'll make a, a metal negative and then usually two more off of that in order to be able to, they'll have that initial metal negative that they can pull new stampers from. Lacquer cutting is basically live to tape or acetate. So if a mistake is made, you have to start all over with a new acetate. Thanks to Gus for letting me witness what is essentially a behind the curtain process. Seeing our music actually cut into grooves is something I'll never forget. We've got the audio going through the cutter head, actually listening to it off of the feedback coils of the cutter head. So now we wait for test pressings. After about a month, they arrived, a generic white label, white sleeve record has never looked so amazing. Gazing down at the grooves, trying not to let the drool get on the record, I could tell which songs were which by the links. Okay, 
Let's just hear me geek out. So this is the sound of me pulling the brand new vinyl out of the white sleeve. <sighs> Sounds pretty good. So here it is, our first vinyl record. I'm going to put the needle down, and we're going to hear the first song, and then I'm going to start crying. Night Herons, Heavy Swell. So tune in next episode for the thrilling conclusion of The Vinyl Dream, where we're going to go down to L.A. to Rainbow Records to actually witness the Night Herons records being pressed. And then we'll finish up by bringing the records to some stores and getting some advice from the buyers there. So thanks for listening. This is Dana with Vinyl Snob. As we covered in episode 11, I recently moved from California's capital city of Sacramento, a short 90 minutes from the San Francisco Bay Area and a large number of record stores, to Humboldt County on the north coast of California, population maybe 100,000. So you must know I would never have made such a move if there wasn't a good record store here. For my home in Eureka, it's a short 10-minute drive up US-101 to Arcata, a small, almost Norman Rockwell-looking college town, home to Humboldt State, and a great little record store, located right on the town plaza. People's Records. Owner, Steve Lovett. I bought the store from a previous owner in 2011. Uh, the store originally opened in 1981. Same name. Yeah, when I bought the store, I didn't really want to change the name. The same name, same location. Put a new flair to it, I suppose. But uh, since I bought it, we expanded the store quite a bit by knocking down some walls. Um, and also, we carry a lot more vinyl now. Probably 10 times the amount that was here before. Um, and also a ton of new vinyl, too. The uh, owner before me... He, he did have some new vinyl, but probably not more than, say, 300 pieces at the most. Steve says that being in a small college town does affect inventory. We try to carry all genres, um, and it certainly does affect some of what we sell. I mean, there's some groups um, in here um, and some music in here that I'm not necessarily into. And if we weren't a college town catering to maybe younger people's interests, I might not have it or I might not know about it. But I think, you know, trying to stay relevant as a record store, it's important for, um, you know, the owners of stores to know what's going on. Um, so that means carrying a wide variety of uh music and genres and um, trying to find out, you know, what, I mean, there, there is certain things that I don't necessarily sell. Um, a lot of the top 40 stuff I don't really sell. And being the only full service record store in the county, if Steve doesn't have it in stock, he'll try to find it for you. Well, every week we do special orders for people, be that um, records or CDs. Yeah, I mean, it's not a huge part of what we do, but every week we do a handful of special orders for people. And we just get that through our distributors. Typically, if people have a little bit of patience, um, 
they can order through us. But I know a lot of people just sit at home and order online too. And we see those people sometimes, they'll come in here to check things out. But, um, you know, I, I don't know how much of those sales we're missing, people that just stay at home and order. But it happens, and that's just the world we're in now. So, you know, I mean, if there's something you're looking for, and especially if you've been collecting for a long time, you get very specific. And um, a lot of the stuff that I'm looking for, um, I can't find in record stores because some of it is um, like European uh, presses and um, they're just impossible to find here in the States. But um, yeah, so if there's something you're looking for uh, that's, that's used and rare, it makes sense to go to Discogs for sure. And what about local music? You know, I always encourage any um, local band who has a record or a CD to bring it in here. I mean, it, that's what we're here for. Sometimes, in fact, I find out bands that, you know, have CDs out. and It's a little frustrating that they haven't brought them here to us because people expect us to have them. So, yeah, we, uh, we definitely want to have as much local music as we can. So how did this guy who came out to California from Memphis end up owning a record store? lifelong dream no not not at all i mean you know of course like a lot of people that um are customers at record stores you think oh this would be great but uh i never really had that intention and um just sometimes your life takes uh weird turns i um formerly uh was working for a nonprofit, and back in 2011 when the economy was crashing i saw that um, a lot of our grants were going to be drying up and i needed to look for something new to do and i heard through the grapevine that this owner was interested in selling and um, i approached him and um, he was very uh, reasonable about you know selling it and um, so we worked a deal out and um, uh, I mean I'm glad we did at first I wasn't sure I made the right decision um, but uh, you know it's 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 worked out all right yeah our thanks to Steve Lovett of People's Records in Arcata California my new local record store and that's the program Vinyl Snob is produced at Post Audio, Studio One, in Eureka, California. Dana Barry is our executive producer, our theme music composed by Cameron Robbins. You'll find pictures and links to our guests and the extended music version of this program on the episode 12 page under podcasts at vinylsnob.com. While you're there, stop by the store for free domestic shipping on all Vinyl Snob gear and check out our one-hour music DJ shows on Vinyl Snob Radio, featuring many of the artists talked about here on the Pantheon Network. If you have any questions about vinyl records or stereo equipment, we'd be happy to look into it. Drop me a line, dave at vinylsnob.com. If we use your idea in the show, we'll send you a Vinyl Snob t-shirt and a tote bag, and you can watch heads turn next time you walk into the record store. For Vinyl Snob, I'm Dave Whitaker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>